My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Hello and welcome to the Daily Oz. It's Sam. Welcome to TDA's summer series. I hope you're having a nice couple of weeks over summer, whether you're working, taking some time off, headed to a music festival or just, you know, hanging out with family and friends. This week, we're going to share more of our favourite deep dives from 2023, from some of our most popular interviews to some stories you might have missed. I guess we're trying to keep you company here over the summer. We'll be back to some regular programming next week. Until then, here is our summer series. Singapore is considering laws that would ban cancel culture in the country. When you think of someone being cancelled, Nina, who do you think of? I'm going to deflect and say I asked the office <laughs> and they said Harvey Weinstein and James Charles. Yeah, so tell me who James Charles is. <laughs> I don't know who James Charles exactly. is. Very up with the kids. But, <laughs> I mean, those are two of the cases of cancel culture that I think we often think of or we immediately think of when we talk about this topic. But today we're talking about something a bit different. In Singapore's case, it's being used by religious organisations who fear they're going to be silenced if the country becomes too secular. So it all comes back to some debates relating to LGBTQI rights in the country, in Singapore. For people who don't know, what kind of a place is Singapore? It's generally considered a socially conservative country. It was only at the end of last year that the country decriminalised homosexuality. I remember when we covered it and I was just so shocked that it was still in place. It's still a thing. Yeah. For decades, Singapore's government had preserved the controversial 377A law and that law bans sex between two men. While the rule hasn't necessarily been enforced for about 15 years, it was still part of the nation's laws. And that makes me think of, for example, abortion laws here in Australia, that it was still in the criminal code in a lot of states until recently, but wasn't necessarily being enforced. But Singapore by no means was the last country to decriminalise homosexuality. To this day, there are still at least 67 nations that criminalise same-sex intercourse. So to come back to Singapore, can you just explain how it actually got overturned eventually? Yeah. I mean, it took decades of activists and lawyers pushing for the repeal of 377A. It had been challenged in the Singaporean parliament and courts as being unconstitutional, specifically for breaching an article in the constitution that guarantees equal protection under the law. It had actually faced so many challenges over the years and came close to being overturned so many times that last year the government announced a review of the law and eventually its repeal. This is the PM of Singapore, Lee Sien Lung, making the announcement. The government will repeal Section 377A and decriminalise sex between men. I believe this is the right thing to do and something that most Singaporeans will now accept. So the Prime Minister made that big announcement. You would imagine there would be a big sense of celebration from LGBTQI rights groups Mm -hmm. in Singapore. Was that the case? Yeah, I mean, there was this real sense of victory. They'd been calling for the repeal of this law for so long and I think characterised it as this triumph of love over fear. 
But with any issue, there are two sides. And on the other hand, there was pushback. Singapore is a religious country and there were many parts of the community who were extremely opposed to the repeal of this law. The National Council of Churches of Singapore, the Catholic Archbishop and Islamic authorities all made these public statements against the law being repealed. In particular, some religious groups expressed concern that repealing the law would lead to a general shift towards secularism and away from religion. And again, this isn't a new idea. I think a lot of countries around the world have had to grapple with this issue. We did with the plebiscite. Yeah, exactly. And it feels like those religious groups really lobbied hard because when announcing the repeal of 337A, The Prime Minister of Singapore also announced a proposed amendment to the constitution that would enshrine the institution of marriage as only between a man and a woman. So, I mean, on the one hand, they've decriminalised sex between two men, but at the very same time, they've also entrenched marriage as between a man and a woman. In his speech, the PM said that while repealing this law would provide relief to LGBTQI Singaporeans, most Singaporeans did not want its repeal to trigger a drastic shift in societal norms. We will therefore protect the definition of marriage from being challenged constitutionally in the courts to retain the basic family structure of marriage between a man and a woman within which we have and raise our children. So, Zara, you've painted a picture about how Singapore is having these really challenging conversations culturally mm-hmm. and tra- religiously. religiously on many levels about LGBTQI rights in the country. How does cancel culture come into any of this? So it comes into what I was saying before, that with the repealing of this law, there was concern within religious groups that the country was moving towards too much of a secular future. And as a result of that, some groups worried that cancel culture would stop them freely expressing views on things like sex, gender and marriage without being silenced. The religious groups are worried that they'll be silenced. Correct. Yes. That with this new Singapore that, you know, sex between two men is no longer criminalised, they were concerned that if they voiced opposition to that publicly, that they would be cancelled. A Bloomberg journalist put this to Singapore's Minister of Law and Home Affairs, asking if Singapore would consider passing a law to stop so-called cancel culture. And this is what he said. This is an issue that has concerned us, not just in the context of debates or arguments about 377A or, you know, sexual mores, but on a wide variety of issues. And uh, if we find the right solutions, yes, that should be something that uh, we could see in uh, legislation. So cancelling cancel culture Mm, is on the table in Singapore. Is it even possible to legislate against cancel culture? How would a government even go about doing that? I mean, my instinctive response is with great difficulty. It would be an incredibly hard thing to legislate. And when we're talking about the Singapore example, No laws have actually been formally drafted, but because we're hearing about kind of rumblings of this and there have been some proposals put on the table, we thought we'd put our questions to a partner at a Singaporean law firm. He said that he isn't aware of any other jurisdiction in the world that's considering something like a law banning cancel culture and that it would be really difficult to pull off. For one, he said that there'd be difficulty even defining what cancel culture is, I think, If we think about the examples that we used at the beginning, 
like a Harvey Weinstein situation versus an influencer being cancelled. Versus a religious organisation in Singapore. It's there's so a, there's a huge spectrum. Like there are convictions against one and, and just beliefs held against another. And that is something that would prove an obstacle, I think, in legislating against cancel culture. But another issue, if we think about this Singaporean example, is that oftentimes pylons and cancel culture happen on the internet and it would be really difficult to distinguish between social media content that originates from Singapore, that's in Singapore, and then, of course, content that is made overseas. And if we're only legislating against Singaporeans who are bound by Singaporean law, what about all those people that are piling on from Australia? But also that just the nature of the internet. You take one thing down, 10 things pop out. Yeah, I mean, it's a vacuum. But I think if Singapore does move to legislate against this, it would lead to an incredible precedent that, I mean... I don't know how other governments would respond to it. There would be huge free speech implications uh, and it would be fascinating to see what would happen uh, in the age of the internet. I have a question for you, Zara. Excellent. Because I know that we're talking about this in a very specific context, which you've laid out, and it's so unique to the history of Singapore and Mm. Singapore's LGBTQI rights. But I'm wondering, having thought about this now and having even thought about the prospect of cancel culture being cancelled, do you feel like we should be considering regulating cancel culture here in Australia? Okay, well, you deflected an earlier question, so I'm deflecting this for (laughs) you to answer first because I want to know, I want to know what you think first. I've had lots of different interesting conversations about this over the years. You do strike me as someone that thinks deeply (laughs) about cancel culture. I think initially, and I still to some degree believe this, that in instances where historically groups of people or just individuals have been ignored or Mm -hmm. have not had a place at the table, have not had an opportunity to speak a platform, Mm -hmm. cancel culture does provide a unique way of rebalancing things and actually taking down high-profile people, and that's really powerful, and I don't think that should be forgotten. Mm. However, the idea of taking the conversation off the table altogether Mm. and shutting it down Mm. never seems healthy. Mm. You're a person with a profile, Zara. Do you worry about being cancelled? Um, I think that it it is a force for good in so many ways that it it makes you consider a lot of different perspectives. Like you said, that like otherwise we're not being considered, we're not being respected. Uh, I do think, though, we, we do get to a point where we will not entertain any healthy discussion, any healthy debate. I started a media organization. I want people to be talking about their opinions. I want people to have educated opinions and, and to feel really comfortable in being able to debate that and defend their position. Um, I think where that crosses over into hate speech, I absolutely do not condone. But I think there is a space before then, though, that uh, firstly, I think should exist and allows for healthy scrutiny without ridding people of the chance to learn. Thanks for joining us on The Daily Oz. If you learnt something from today's episode, don't forget to hit subscribe so there's a TDA episode waiting for you every weekday morning. Have a brilliant day.